my interest in healthcare disparity, I would love to see an improvement in um, pharmacists being uh, pharmacists of color or black or Asian or Hispanic pharmacists more in those underrepresented areas. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. a shout out to all pharmacy owners out there, your champions of your community during this pandemic. Your pharmacy is more important than ever before. There's a product out there I'd like you to take a look at. I'm talking about the Pen Needle UltiGuard Safe Pack. For the same copay for your patients as pen needles alone, the UltiGuard Safe Pack provides 100 premium pen needles and a sharps container all in one. When pharmacies dispense the Pen Needle UltiGuard Safe Pack, they see consistently higher revenue and higher margins. Check this product out today and let us know what you think. Go to www.ultiguardsafepack forward slash podcast. That's ultiguardsafepack forward slash podcast. You can get a free sample pack on the website. Thanks for all you do as frontline healthcare providers. And thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast. A commitment of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Pharmacy Podcast Nation has been to really find pharmacists making changes in this nation that we live in together. And the impact to ultimately patient health care, to community health care, public health care, and what that means to outcomes, what that means to saving money, saving lives, which is more important. A portion of our attention has been concentrated on a series called Transforming a Nation. And this is Pharmacy Podcast Network's commitment to playing a small part and transforming a nation through our commitment to the advocacy for pharmacists, the critical role that they lead in healthcare. The series really dives into racism, racial disparities in healthcare, gender bias, um, the LGBTQ efforts of pharmacists out there like, like Dr. Jay Holloway and, 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 and Michelle Sherman, who's a, who's a pharmacist that we just listened to um, just a little while ago in the last episode of Transforming a Nation. But today's guest is someone that I met through LinkedIn, and I was so impressed with her professionalism and her push as a pharmacist to continuously uh, up her game and, and transform herself. I want to introduce Dr. Claire Excess to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. Welcome, Claire, how are you? Hi, well, thank you, Todd, for having me. Doing pretty well, thank you. <laughs> so as I said, I, I met you on LinkedIn. I was very impressed with, uh, with your background and, and the passion, and we had a, a small conversation through uh, LinkedIn's um, uh, chat method and messages. And then I got an opportunity to read your biography and understand how you entered pharmacy. I want you to kind of share with our listeners, especially for those uh, new pharmacists or pharmacist students, why is it that you wanted to become a pharmacist? Well, oh, wow, <laughs> that really takes me back. Um, 
my whole journey into pharmacy started um, because of my family and also um, getting a part-time job at a pharmacy. I, um, I, was, I had just graduated high school and I took a part-time job at what used to be called Eckerd's at the time. Um, it's no longer around. That company is no longer around. Yeah, and through that, um, being in that pharmacy at the time and learning and meeting customers and see how valuable small conversations, um, building relationships with customers, how important that was for them and also for the pharmacists how um, not just knowing somebody's, um, handing somebody's prescription when they come in, but taking the time to talk to them and learning that they're taking other things at home, they're buying stuff over the counter and just these little small interactions made me realize how important it was for pharmacists to uh, to be community pharmacists, to be able to help patients on a daily basis. And it didn't have to be all the time about their prescriptions. Sometimes they just come in and want to talk. Um, and through that, through those interactions, I decided to become a pharmacist. I decided to um, dedicate myself to helping patients and understand uh, medications and their usage, um, how to, in small ways, improve their lives. When I read your profile on LinkedIn, and I see that you have a background also in regulatory and policy compliance as a consultant, for someone listening that is interested in other aspects of the industry. We have pharmacists going into artificial intelligence and uh, in helping in drug development, um, medical science liaison. So if someone was, was reaching out to you and saw um, your, your experience in policy compliance, what does that mean? What are, what are you actually doing every day as a pharmacist? Um, as a compliance regulatory pharmacists, I help pharmacies and, pharmac and pharmacy owners, who, some of them who have no background in pharmacy and help them stay up, uh, abreast and stay up to date with the regulations in, in the laws of pharmacy. Um, it goes from helping them with audits, with getting their licenses, um, and also um, I started doing that when I was in Florida. I got interested in it um, when I was in Florida. I lived for, in Florida for a while. And at that time, um, Medicare and Medicaid were conducting audits on small pharmacies um, quite frequently. And, um, and someone that I, well, pharmacist that I, uh, that I used to work with um, got me interested in it. 
um, basically is to be able, it's to know the laws of pharmacy, the regulations of the pharmacy world, to be able to um, help pharmacy owners stay, uh, uh, keep up with, with the new regulations, to stay compliant um, with the regulations, and also um, to have their employees stay compliant. So I will go in and conduct audits before they get audited. Um, it could be billing, it could be um, um, their control substances. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes they, some of them will contract me out to only do their inventory control substances to stay up to date with that. Um, and right now, um, I am able to do those audits, not, not physically, but I audit their, um, their um, books. I audit um, their database to see how they're billing. I audit um, pretty much all aspects of the pharmacy inventory. Um, so that's what this is about. And also sometimes I will do education for their pharmacy technicians and for the pharmacists. What I'm wondering is what is your view and what do you think is a solution to the health disparities and differences that Black Americans, Mexican Americans, um, different groups that are getting less health care um, an example is the maternity mortality rate in the United States is, is the highest for black women, which is 2.5 times more likely to die of complications of pregnancy during childbirth than white women. And this is according to Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. So I think that data is a baseline of, of truth and of fact to give us an opportunity to use data as a barometer and as a measurement of where we have to go as a culture. How do you think pharmacists can impact health disparities in improving these, uh, these types of outcomes where we see disparities, especially with, for example, um, black women? That's a very interesting question. And it just happens also that I'm, um... Health disparities is one of my um, clinical interests. Um, I'm more in, um, I looked into disparities more, I was more focusing disparities in cancer research for women um, when it pertains to breast cancer. Uh, but this question of mortality rate, how black women are dying um, during childbirth, it's, um, To say um, it's it's something that I, I cannot wrap my head around uh, in this where we're living in this world where medicine has come from such a long way. We're making um, people, we're implanting new hearts in people, new hips, and for women to be dying of childbirth, it's crazy. Um, so 
to really answer your question about data, how data plays a role um, in health disparity, how data can shed a light in health um, pharmacy. So data plays a big role when it comes to identifying and identifying uh, gaps and how to, not necessarily how to fix them, but the data can help identifying where the gaps are. We know that um, in pharmacy, they, we, we have some, we have pharmacy deserts nowadays where uh, small communities, especially well in on underrepresented communities, there are not too many pharmacies. Mm-hmm. Um, there could be one or big two chains and they're like far away in between. And um, in, in those areas, we, we mostly find um, people of color, black, black people, Hispanics, and we can use that data. We can use the, de- the pharmacy desert data to improve care, to improve having pharmacists um, that represent the people in the neighborhood. So um, the patients can open up and share um, and be able to participate in their care. Because when you have somebody that looks like you, you're more likely to talk about what really, what you really want, what you really need from your healthcare provider. Um, there's evidence that has shown that. My interest in healthcare disparity, I would love to see an improvement in um, pharmacists being uh, pharmacists of color or black or Asian or Hispanic pharmacists more in those underrepresented areas. Health disparities and specifically pharmacy deserts that you just mentioned, Claire, is a is a real bright spot for improvement and and entrepreneurial driven pharmacists that will be able to get grant funding uh, from their state and federal governments to prove that there is in fact a pharmacy desert in a community sector and then use that as a way of of getting funding to help them start a pharmacy i'd like are organizations that are that are already in place today that help to start pharmacies, help to sell pharmacies, to embrace the idea and to research uh, pharmacy deserts and to reach out to state uh, health uh, and human service organizations to find out where those are and really take something that is a negative, turn it into a positive, and allow pharmacists to lead with it because you and I both know, especially with you being in in auditing of data, that a community pharmacy is much more than a pharmacy to its community. It really becomes a a healthcare destination for a multitude of services that include mental health, that include Mm -hmm. counseling for uh, breastfeeding, that includes allergy uh, counseling, um, opioid disorders, uh, opioid usage disorders, and drug addiction, pain management. Um, there are so many opportunities for pharmacists. And what I want our publication to do is to continue to help r- raise the voices of people like yourself, Claire, so that we can get organizations to come together 
state by state, community by community, letting the pharmacist know that they are not alone. And if you are in a retail setting right now, if you're a community pharmacist and you feel burnout, maybe it's time for you to look into another career path. It may involve an opportunity that is created by our health and, and, and racial disparities. What was interesting to me, Claire, is racial disparities have been documented in the use of essential evidence-based drug therapies um, for these chronic conditions, uh, antidepressants, mm -hmm. anticoagulants, I can't even say that, anticoagulants, <laughs> diabetes. Um, that's right. Um, drugs for dementia um, is a big one. Um, statins even, that seems so common, but it's still a a disparity based on race. Um, racial or ethnic disparities in medication disease uh, um, that, that people need the medications aren't getting it based on evaluation. So mm -hmm. I think pharmacists have responded to a lot of this and it just needs to be accelerated, but it's not the pharmacists that, that, are, that are the the, the leverage point alone, they need to be surrounded by other organizations helping them to respond and address the disparities in medication use among the underserved and especially the vulnerable populations. Um, and, and really focusing on those social determinants of health and, and how medication costs and how medication mm -hmm. um, reimbursements and how uh, even the community pharmacies are being shut down by some of the payment models. Mm -hmm. And sometimes this is happening in communities where the pharmacy is the only uh, accessible healthcare provider for miles and miles away in, in the rural areas. So in your, in your years of service to different communities, um, Claire, what do you think we can do in, in, in devising a plan or a step-by-step -step to try to close the gap on some of this, um, some of these healthcare disparities on pharmacy deserts as we know? Well, um, it's a complicated, um, it's a complex problem, but I, I don't think it's unsurmountable. I would think um, the first step will be to have more people, more black pharmacists, really. Mm -hmm. Because um, the last time I look, the professional pharmacy had only about 6% of our black pharmacists. And even um, maybe I think half of that are women. So it will, I think it, it, the honest now will be on the pharmacy school to recruit more uh, pharmacists, more for, um, minority pharmacists, train them to go to those areas. And um, even the residency programs, um, they, are, they have less, less black uh, pharmacists or minority pharmacists um, being trained to become, um, to, to, to have residency accredit accreditation. So, I will start. I will start with having um, the pharmacy schools reach out more to black pharma, to black students um, to go in those communities. Well, start with high school. Uh -huh. Have a STEM program in the summer. Um, um, have um, 
a three or two month or a six week program for those high school students to know what pharmacy is, to have pharmacy pharmacists mentor them. Um, and as far as uh, the pharmacy desert, which is a lot more pressing at this time, um, with the COVID with the COVID virus, with the pandemic, we need more pharmacies to administer vaccines. Mm -hmm. And as you mentioned, in some areas, in some places, pharmacy is the only place where someone can talk um, about a health to can talk with a healthcare provider. And right now, I, you mentioned um, grants for mm -hmm. pharmacies to start their business in those communities. Um, I think if more people know about that, um, I, I have many friends that have lost their jobs during the pandemic and very entrepreneurial. They would love to, they would, they would love to know about opportunities like that and start um, their business and bring um, It will not just be a business, it will also be um, a health hub where people can find information about the virus, where people, because we do have, we do know that um, Black people have a fear of getting the vaccine. Yes. Huge vaccine hesitancy. Mm -hmm. And um, some of them are even healthcare workers that are denying taking the vaccine. So education, um, in those uh, areas, education for the public, being able to be accessible, which is what pharmacists do, being accessible, talking to people. Um, but we will have to have regulations in place so that those pharmacies don't get driven out as soon as they open. Mm -hmm. Because we know what happened to small pharmacies in, in in rural communities, they they can survive on um, on the payment models that are that are in place right now. Right. Absolutely. There was a, a study whole other conversation. I know we are not going to get into it, but you and I, and also maybe our listeners, know that um, many many for small community pharmacies are closing yep. um, faster than they can stay open. Exactly. There's a study. It was done by Midwest Pharmacy Workforce Research um, in 2019, which was commissioned in 2020 as well to follow up on this survey. And they collected data that showed that there has been an increase of non-white licensed pharmacists in the United States in in 2019 it went up to 21.8 percent of our total workforce pharmacists there's just about 300,000 pharmacists throughout the united states so that metric is increasing which is very hopeful that those individuals um, will reach out to their state pharmacy organizations and that's where i would start if you're entrepreneurial you're listening to this right now Number one, the pharmacy podcast will help you um, gather information. Number two, your pharmacy state organizations could really help you access the correct people within your state to reach out to, to find that funding. 
because COVID-19, this pandemic, where we've lost a half million people to this disease in the United States, to this virus in the United States, there is some good that is going to come of this. And, and one of those things is the evidence that we've seen out of states like uh, West Virginia, mm-hmm. that our community independent pharmacies are very powerful when leveraged um, by, the, by the state governments and by the, the county governments. And if more of our states will follow, even though the population in West Virginia may not be as, good, as big as some uh, you know, state like New York, but the, the processes that they followed in getting the vaccines out to community pharmacies and the education that can be provided by the community pharmacists as well, the technicians that are there and helping. If you think of 21% of our 300,000 pharmacists are, are not white and there are black pharmacists within there. And if those could, could continue to increase and we reach out to our state organizations like the Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association, if you're in Pennsylvania, like I am, and that is a very, they're very aggressive. They're very, they have uh, lots of metrics. They have people that understand business, but I think that's a really good place to start, Claire. And then taking evidence and finding your politicians who are in different areas of those states, those people know what their what their constituents are going through, and or there are at least there might be metrics there showing where the pockets of disparity is, and then um, and then leveraging the funding that that could be available to you um, to to make the pharmacy deserts uh, dissipate. Um, a bit as as we move forward. So I think this pandemic is going to show that there has to be some assistance from our state and federal government in funding to assure that there are healthcare centers that in my opinion should be pharmacies that could easily turn into um, uh, quick care clinics or or health system clinics that could incorporate um, medication management. Yeah, because when you're there in the pharmacy, you, you might go there for a vaccine, but if the pharmacist has your profile, they can quickly assess what other uh, information they can provide you with. It's not just your vaccine that the pharmacy is going to be preoccupied with that day. Um, they might be able to counsel you on your diabetes medications, on your blood pressure medications. Um, so these communities that uh, that are deprived of a pharma, of a pharmacy or even pharmacist are really um, not taking advantage of the member of the, the medical profession that is the most accessible. Yes, absolutely. We know that there are models from organizations like Flip the Pharmacy and several of the um, of the wholesale and buying group opportunities and buying group organizations that they want this cycle to be broken because it means better business and better care of patients that aren't slipping through the cracks and then are rushed to an emergency room because they haven't cared for their chronic condition and now those costs skyrocket versus in, in just being able to maintain a disease or manage a disease. So, you know, 
not having healthcare services more expensive and more um, detrimental to communities than investing in uh, pharmacies and health centers in places where there aren't uh, services available um, to communities that might not look after their health because maybe they don't have insurance or, or maybe they don't think that there's a problem or they get used to living with their high blood pressure or hypertension or um, diabetes or, or something. So this is having people like you, Claire, coming on this show to come out and kind of be the voice um, and continue to layer this is is creating hope in me and i want to get this message out to as many pharmacists listening and to many as many um healthcare administration organizations so if you're part of one of the 50 uh, pharmacy state organizations and you want to take this and really build a program within your uh organization come to us uh pharmacy podcast nation and we'll help you get that messaging out and, uh, and Claire, I'd like to have you back because I'd like to talk more about what you've done um, in, your, in your health system world and, and how you have learned in hospital system how to bring uh, some of that uh, experience to community pharmacy. And I also wanna have you back because I'd like to talk more about um, HIV management and how your experience in HIV has been uh, a blessing to your community too. Uh, well, my um, pharmacy journey started in community. Mm -hmm. I was a community pharmacist for many years. And um, through that, um, from community pharmacy, I went to specialty pharmacy. Um, yeah, community pharmacy is still at the heart of what, from, uh, what pharmacists, where, pharma, where you find the most pharmacists. And um, I enjoyed being a community pharmacist. It was how I became a pharmacist, really, how I learned my craft. I learned to um, talk to patients and find out how to help them to the best of my possibility by listening to them. Um, I would love to come back. And um, what I learned from the community I took to hospital pharmacy and health system pharmacies, uh, pharmacy. And yeah, the foundation, I just carried around with me to wherever I went. Um, I spent many years in hospital pharmacy. I spent many years in um, internal medicine as an ambulatory care pharmacist, which is most like, which is the closest model to community pharmacy but it was just more intense. It was a large practice, about 200 uh, providers um, made up of nurses, residents, um, um, and several other pharmacists, pharmacy technicians. Yeah, it was, it was there in the military care that I realized um, the one-on-one -on -one time you spend with a patient, the one-on-one -on -one time you, um, you spend talking to someone about their medications, about their health, how you can, uh, how being a partner with them can help them get 
to better lives, uh, live a healthier life. Life was uh, for me that was the that was the greatest moment when I was in ambulatory care for uh, pharmacists. So yes, I would definitely would love to come back and would love to talk about. Um, um, where the, uh, my journey has um, my journey really to the pharma to the pharmacy world, how I had ov overcome many adversities in pharmacy, uh, especially when it comes to um, discrimination and sexual harassment. Um, how I I am glad um, I have heard many stories since um, last summer. Our pharmacists are able to talk about that. Yep. Um, that was not something um, I was not privileged to hear to meet anyone that, that was able to come forward and talk about the journey um, going through these uh, difficulties. It was um, it was not surprising. Um, I've been through these adversities many times in my life before. What made my experience as um, my last experience with my uh, with that employer different was the fact that um, they portrayed themselves as being supportive. Um, but when I brought the discrimination, well, first it was the sexual harassment by the coworker, by the male coworker, who took it upon himself to really make my life miserable. Jeez. Um, when I when I went to HR and reported that, I was uh, retaliated against. Um, and knowing that it, it, it was not the best place to be, I um, I, I it's still very hard to talk about it when I remember those days. How frightening I was to go to work every day. And because it went on for months, even after even after I reported to my manager, she she chose not to act on it, and and uh, and that person continued to terrorize me on a daily basis. Jeez. And finally, when I had the courage to go to HR, um, that didn't go so well either. So I left the department and transferred to another department. But um, the whole idea in that place was that the, to the toxic environment that they created is not for you to voice these things. It's not for you to talk about them. Um, because I was, um, the minute after I brought that complaint, even after I transferred, I was still being retaliated against. And although I thought I was doing my best to make it work, to comply with what um, I, I, I was doing, what I thought I should do, mm -hmm. um, because uh, as when I joined that employer, they had employee resource group. I was a member of the employee resource group. I was uh, part of the wellness committee in in the in, <laughs> in the organization. I was the person. Um, listening to people and helping them cope with these situations. And the fear, it was always uh, the story that I would hear was about the fear that they don't want, 
people get fired, they will tell me. If you go and report these things, you get fired. You're not going to be here for long if you bring these things forward. It wasn't, I could not um, compute what I was hearing from them and also being on the ERG, um, the work that we were supposed to do. So I, I brought my claim forward and I also found myself on the same side as the people that I used to help, that I was uh, ushered out the door very quickly when I made, uh, when I followed their policies, which is the policy that they claim and they make sure that everybody knows, uh, everybody knows about that. If you have these, these things happening to you, if you're being harassed, if you're being discriminated against, you should talk about it, you should bring it to, uh, forward. But when I did follow the policy, I ended up being ushered out the door as well. It's, uh, it's not conducive to deliver the best of care when you're in that kind of environment. Um, being in that, uh, at that organization, we, we took care of a large population of um, Black people, Hispanic people, and yet they were very representation of the population in the, in the employees. Um, the reason my, I, I was so, I, 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 the reason I was very happy to be there is that patients will tell me all the time, oh, I am so happy that I could talk to you. You understand uh, where I'm coming from. You, you, do, you do know what I'm talking about. You do understand. So not be able to do my job because of the environment that I was um, confronting, because of the adversities that I had to go through on a daily basis, and knowing that our patients will not be able to benefit um, from my work. That was the most painful about it. We've heard from other pharmacists, very difficult testimony on several of our um, episodes that we really gave a lot of attention to. Dr. Rebecca Smith um, kicked out a very um, disturbing image that she shared on Twitter of, of sexual harassment by a, a preceptor, uh, someone who was training her at the hospital mm -hmm. system. Uh, this turned into a a campaign of mm -hmm. 18 different uh, female pharmacists that, um, you know, that, that fought against this and in gathering the, the viewpoints of, you know, Brooke and Ashley Barlow, Dr. and Dr. Barlow from the University of Kentucky and Jackie Johnston and, um, and, and as assistant professor and it was just so um, eye-opening of what women pharmacists were going through that wasn't being addressed. And so when, when we hear about this, you know, we wanna let listeners know and other pharmacists know that you have a place to come to really build out and protect your voice, whether you wanna be public about it or not be public about it. There are other people who have gone through this that would, that would help you. And, um, and that goes for racism in the workplace. That goes for if you, are, uh, if you are gay, if you're a lesbian, if you're a transgender pharmacist and you feel that you're being discriminated against, um, reach out 
at a minimum to the pharmacy podcast nation, but there are other organizations um, that, that are, are going to help you. And we have to first start by holding our profession accountable so that it can go away because we're, we just have too much work to do in our communities to be held back by any type of, of harassment or discrimination. Yeah, that's one thing I could, um, I would love to, uh, I'd like to add to this, um, to what you just mentioned, to what you just said, is that uh, those places, these people doing those things, is that um, a one-off incident? They've been doing it, and for the most part, HR is aware, um, and because in my case, my colleague told me, I've been here longer than you. They're not going to believe you. Um, he flat out told me that. They're not going to believe you. And sure enough, um, the supervisor did not believe me. Um, he quoted, quoted saying, oh, this is your perspective. He's a good guy. He would not do something like that. So that emboldened him to um, press on and being even um, more brazen about the things he was doing. Um, one example I will share with you is that he will put his feet on my desk. Um, he would come in, lean over my shoulders, um, come very close to my face, and he will close the door. We had an office. Uh, he will close the door and close the blinds. Um, just those intimidation um, tactics it will pull off. Well, I'm glad that you came and I'm glad that you've shared. Um, I think it's a it's an honor to have people like you come on and share the stories that need to be out there so that we can listen because I don't think we'll ever make any correction or we'll make any changes if we don't understand from the viewpoint of the of the person, of the professional, of the pharmacist that went through this and then demand our industry uh, back us all up as as one force that that stands for equality, not only for each other, but more importantly for our community and for our patients that are going through it. Mm -hmm. But we have to protect ourselves first in order to ensure the health of of those that we serve. So I have a campaign and uh, a push as the U.S. Farmy, um, one, you know, one U.S. Farmy instead of the U.S. Army. And I think we have um, done very well in, in representing how pharmacists can join together regardless of what sector of pharmacy that you're in to help protect each other and help mm -hmm. stand for each other. But um, that's what transforming a nation is, is about. And um, I've been proud to, to have you here today, Claire. Thank you. Oh, I, I was happy to have participated and I would really like the opportunity to come back. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. You were listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation's Transforming a Nation. And we had a very special guest today. Um, we will have her bio and her link to LinkedIn. If you want to link up with uh, Dr. Claire in, uh, in your LinkedIn, please do so. But reach out to us, let us know how you're doing. Let us know if there's anything we can do for you. 
And um, I thank you from the bottom of my heart that you're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. <laughs>